This is the Education Gadfly Show. Occasional visitor to Washington, if the subway is shut down by protesters, how do you know? <laughs> what does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please welcome my very special guest for this week, our own Robert Pendicio. Guest? I'm a guest. You're a guest. I used to be like a regular a host. Last, when was the last time you were in DC? When was the last time you invited me? Well, that's true. <laughs> also joining us by invitation, David Griffith. Hey, Mike. Hey, Hello. Robert. Hi. So we, we are here in DC, even though DC was threatened to be shut down by some climate change protesters. That's right. Difficult to shut things down with the internet these days. I know. People just stay home, which is what we all did this morning. And then now it just seems pretty much quiet out there. And, and as an occasional visitor to Washington, if the subway is shut down by protesters, how do you know? <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Or if traffic is shut down by protesters. Exactly. Like, well, it's probably thing. the protest. But. Uh, yes. Well, well, super excited about this. Uh, people know that Robert, yes, is our own senior fellow. I thought you're like a just senior fellow, distinguished senior fellow. A distinguished oh, guest. Nobody has ever called me distinguished. Uh, okay, let's no, let's no, not I'll start now. All right, that's fine. Well, hey, great to have you. And of course, we're here to talk about Robert's amazing new book, which has gotten a ton of attention. Yeah. A New York Times book review, Imagine which that. is pretty amazing. This that was pretty not cool. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Too many education books, yeah. Wall Street Journal excerpts, yeah. lots of other commentary. So let's makes you want to treat me with a little respect now, doesn't it? A uh, little bit. Yeah, just a little, a little bit. bit. All right, let's do it in. Ed Reform Update. Okay, Robert's book. First of all, let's talk about the title, How the Other Half Learns Equality, Excellence, and the Battle Over School Choice. Famously about New York City's Success Academy. Yes, First sir. Of all, Robert, how's it feel to be a famous author now? Uh, I wouldn't know. Published author I can talk about. Famous uh, is a In is our a little world, point. you're famous oh, there, now. There you go. There you go. It may be infamous. So, you know, you wrote a great piece for the 74 when this first came out saying that you hoped everybody hated this book uh, because, <laughs> you know, the people who like Success Academy weren't going to be happy with the fact that you acknowledge that Success Academy does... Uh, well, quite a bit of, not creaming of students, but creaming of parents. Enables some self-selection. Yes. How about that? The people who hate Success Academy won't like all the nice things that you have to say yeah. about the schools. You just expressed to me, though, a disappointment, which <laughs> is that actually people seem to like the book. Well, I, I guess I shouldn't complain, right? It's nice to write a book that people are saying nice things about, but uh, maybe I should write another piece for the 74 that says, I'm really angry that you like it. Yeah. In other words, if whether you're on the reform side or you're an education traditionalist, if you're coming away from this book pleased by what you read that says to me you're only mm -hmm. focusing on you're the one doing the cherry picking yeah you're right. you're looking at the things you like and you're not looking at the things you don't like look, look robert in this day and age when there's a lot of chaos out there in the world of well politics and everything else <laughs> in education yeah. can't blame people for trying to you know find some things that resonate with just, them just right? trying to I, spread honestly, a little sunshine robert, I, yeah. I think people it is a relief to have someone just tell the truth uh, right? Yes. Like, uh, I mean, I feel like you told the truth. Yeah. Well, that's, that's nice right. to say. I haven't read the book, yeah. but I assume. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, okay, well, thanks. No, I, re I was. Listen, I read the article, and it was fantastic. And the truth is that, right, this school that's been getting amazing results, it gets those amazing results in large part because it does a great job educating kids, because it's got a strong culture, because the curriculum works, because they recruit teachers and provide them with curriculum, and they do all this right. And they are serious about getting the execution part right that so many places, right? That's oh, goodness, a part of yeah. the story. Sure, sure. But also, they get these incredible results because Eva Moskowitz has made it so that if you want to enroll your kid in Success Academy and actually have them get to take a spot, you got to show up again and again and demonstrate that you're 100% committed 
to this model that you are basically one of these mostly low-income parents who are desperate for their kids to get a great education and you're you're all in yeah i think that's that's fair to say this has been hiding in plain sight for quite some time in fact while i was writing the book a lot of this came out in a footnote to to an mdrc study and i was kind of panicking thinking "Uh uh-oh now the, the cat's out of the bag but look this is not just success academy right in other words one of the arguments i make and this is why i think reformers are probably or i expect reformers would be unhappy with me i think the moment a parent raises his or her hand and says Mm -hmm. no i don't want that zone neighborhood school i want something else that pure act of volition immediately sets that parent apart so let's acknowledge that and then you you take it to the next level where a parent in new york city for example where there's Mm -hmm. much more choice you say i don't want because by the way the perception of charter schools in new york city is that they are safe it's just it's a synonym for safe so a lot of parents are picking it just for safety the next level is no i don't want a school that's merely safe i want a kip an uncommon Mm -hmm. success academy i'm doing my homework etc and on top of that then you get success academy that does put parents through several steps to confirm reconfirm etc they could not be clearer about what they stand for about what they will not stand for so it is quite impossible for a kid to walk or a parent to walk in without their eyes open but let's be clear even that is the starting line in other words if people want to suggest that's how they're getting these results that's not that's frankly unfair to success academy there is a significant value add on top of that right and look i think it's fair to say that many reformers charter school supporters have been concerned that people will now think that all charter schools are doing what success academy has done richard whitmeyer wrote a strong piece about that and i look i think that she puts it on steroids right and and there are plenty of charter networks out there that go out of their way to try to address that cherry picking argument by, for example, accepting kids at any grade level or sure. going out of the way to make sure that the, the percentage of but kids a is discerning parents or, is a different parent. Yes, but Robert, that's still a big, so there's no doubt. I think any of us in this world have to say, of course, there's a selection effect issue here. Great, right? that's all the time we have for today. But <laughs> that, that, you know, there's a difference between a small selection effect. When, sure. By the way, when you look at everything we can measure, the kids look Now the David will versus, tell us why we're wrong. Let me just build on what Mike is saying. There's a difference between selection and selection bias, right? So I don't think anyone can deny that there is selection, right? Mm -hmm. But it does not follow that there's a huge selection bias in charter studies. What might follow is that the results that we see for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60% of kids may not generalize to 100% of kids. In other words, there could be some selection and you could have two kids that are actually, despite the choice that the parent makes, very similar in most observable ways. And the kid that goes to the charter school may do much better, yeah. right? But if that is only working because of the sort of culture that you're talking about mm-hmm. in the selection, yeah. then it does follow that at some point we may reach a point where that same model won't work for every student. But I think right. I don't think that point is 10% of students. That's the point but, I want to but make. Here, let's, and, and let, but let's talk about what the heart of this is, right? Which has been what we have wrestled with in public education for at least 50 years, if not before, well, 60, Brown versus Board of Education, right? It's this question around peers. Mm-hmm. It's a question about who, you know, is in the room where it happened, right? Sure. That, yeah, well, yeah, you like that. I mean, yeah, they're not, not secret rooms, right? Uh, right. Yes, <laughs> right. The classroom. Look, there's another study out this week by Sean Reardon using CETA data, looking mm. at segregation and basically saying that, look, the reason that there's a, this racial achievement gap, it doesn't really have anything to do with the race. It has everything to do with poverty, that schools that are racially segregated, that they tend to be segregated by socioeconomics. There's a mm-hmm. concentration of poor kids and that's uh, really bad for achievement. And that is because there is such a thing called peer effects, that it does mm-hmm. matter. Hold on. Okay. That, it, that it really matters who you're in that classroom with. You know, if the whole charter school model is based on basically just one way or another, getting a group of kids whose families are different, who's maybe more motivated, they're still poor, but they're more motivated than other kids. That 
is not something that we can take to scale. And that is, well, but, but your point has been, why do we not let poor families who have that kind of striving Mm -hmm. get their kids into that situation when we just take it as a given that affluent parents do that all the time via private schools or via expensive affluent suburban neighborhoods. And we're not even having this conversation. In other words, it is the least controversial thing ever. So so we take our kids uh, as as affluent white people out of the public school system. Nobody raises an eyebrow. Right. Nobody views our child as a public resource. Nobody. Well, right. Maybe Nicole Hannah. Okay. The number of people. Yeah. Vanishingly small. So when you talk about school culture. Yeah. Are you talking about peer effects? Is this all about peer? Is it about the kids in the room? Okay, look, this is where I'm not a social scientist. My approach is purely journalistic. So I I can't point to data on this, but I can point to some economic research by a guy named George Akerlof, who is uh, the the Nobel Prize winner and the husband of Janet Yellen. Pat Wolf of the University of Arkansas, when I was mostly through with his book, said, well, of course, you know George Akerlof's work. And I said, who's he? (laughs) Then read it and, and panicked again because I thought, well, this has already been out there. He makes the point quite convincing that kids are basically hardwired to adapt themselves and their level of effort to their school setting. You know, that you control the culture, you control the game. So sure, peers matter, but in the particular case of Success Academy, it's really the adult culture that drives it. And this is why that self-selection business, mm-hmm. I think, is, this is not just a nice to have, it's a must have. Mm-hmm. What success is doing, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, is getting every adult in a child's life pulling in the same direction. The administrators, the teachers, the parents, mm-hmm. not insignificantly. Right. This is, you know, this is pushing the culture into the home. Yes, you're going to read six books every night to the mm-hmm. kid. You're going to log it until the kids in middle school, etc. So you are now, that's not a pure effect. You're raising children, you're educating children in an environment where every adult in that child's life is in on the game, so to speak. Mm. I think that's a big, big deal. And the point I make is that even though a lot of this is in the service of test scores, mm-hmm. uh, well, that's the way we keep score. We reformers have kind of imposed right. that condition on it, but it's a valuable metric, even though I've got, as, as people know, who, who follow us, a very complicated relationship with testing. And I don't love, frankly, the stuff I see at Success Academy with putting test prep on steroids. Right. There's a payoff. What I hear the so opponents it, it, of it the turn say, into a peer effect, but it's, but it's really right. about the adults. All right. But what I hear, then the big but okay. is, but... That is a lifeboat strategy, as the New York Times reviewer said. Oh, that's great for those kids that are lucky enough to get yes, it. Yes, and, and that are lucky enough, doubly lucky, because they also have these parents who are motivated and somehow have the time and energy to get them to school without a bus transportation. What about the other kids? Are you Wait, just uh, letting them sink? Well, one, that's kind of a loaded question, because since when do we not care about those kids? Mm-hmm. I mean, the kids who are the potential high achievers. When did we decide that they are ours mm-hmm. to kind of use as a public resource or not care about? Right. Okay. I'm asking in earnest. Yeah. Let me say this as closest thing to a liberal, right? In this conversation at this point. <laughs> Are you I've, moving I've, away from being a liberal? No, 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 no. I just, I'm, I'm recognizing that some viewers, listeners may disagree at this point. For some reason, it clicked for me recently. And I just realized equity within the low-income community is inequality for America, right? That's right. It, right. It means that nobody ever catches up. That's exactly right? my point. Inequality within the low-income mm. community is equity for America. It means that kids are moving from poverty to some other status. Some kids rather than zero kids. And I just think that we, by we, I mean conservatives, have not talked about this in a way that, I mean, when it's put that way, I get it as a liberal. 
and I don't get it when Checker or whoever talks about gift, <laughs> you know, gifted education. Like I roll my eyes. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah, I actually yeah. think I understand what he means now, but it well, took you know like what? three years and I, you know, I, I'm like down the hall. Here's what yeah. I'll say. And David, you were a teacher as I was Brief- as well. Okay. No, no. Yeah. But we've been in the classroom and we have taught classrooms full of low income kids of color. Yeah. Right. So we have that perspective in common. You have heard the advice as I'm sure I did as a new teacher you meet the children where they are. Well, we never say meet families where they are. Mm. And that's just as important. So Mm. I think there are twin sins here and it depends on where you are in the political perspective. A lot of us in reform, I'll just be blunt about it, tend to view low-income communities through a lens of dysfunction. We assume Mm. that everybody's damaged goods. Your daddy's Mm. in jail, your mom's got problems, et cetera. You've been traumatized Mm. with everybody, without Mm -hmm. exception. And that's simply not true. There are are any number of kids. And yes, these are the Success Academy families from Mm -hmm. Central Casting. Their parents are uh, married, employed, ambitious for their kids. Mm-hmm. Now comes the other sin. We, we, and folks, frankly, in traditional public schools will say, well, those kids are going to be mm-hmm. just fine. Right. Well, who the hell are we to say to anybody's child, you'll be just fine. And so, you know, your argument here is that the success of Academy kids would not have done as well if they did not have this choice. That I, they, I, they would still I don't do. see how you could seriously right. argue. Right. Okay. That. So that's Otherwise, number one. But yeah. number two do we have reason to believe that their peers they would have had at their neighborhood public schools that they now don't have, would those kids somehow have done better if these kids and their families were in their neighborhood Look, this public is, schools? This is, this is at the heart of the issue. Hold on. For this is where I say I'm a, a more of a journalist than a social scientist. My gut tells me that there's a tipping point. And this is why school culture matters. And this is, this is the lesson yeah. of Akerlof, that if you create a school culture where achievement is valorized, kids will accommodate themselves to it. So you have to have, and this is why I'm not saying that I get uncomfortable when people say, oh, Eva Moskowitz is just screaming parents. Mm-hmm. Well, she's, she's, she's creating a culture mm-hmm. and it brings, and it's either parents are bought in and some other parents mm-hmm. are coming along. Do mm-hmm. I, is it 60, 40, 70, 30? I simply don't know, mm-hmm. but it's the culture that, that drives it. And you've got to have that tipping point. I know we're out of time. Let me just say this. I think one of these sort of assumptions I came into this conversation several years ago with uh, and came into teaching with was the, was the assumption that if you put kids at the bottom and kids at the top in the same room, that those at the top would bring up those in the bottom. It's just an unwritten assumption because we all want it to be true. Um, yes. I'm not sure it's true. I'm yeah. fairly sure it's not I'm true. I'm fairly sure it's the opposite. I think that's um, right. And that's what makes this a hard conversation. Yeah. And, and I would say that you are right because we are out of time. <laughs> oh my gosh that was a great conversation robert we you are always welcome to come here we would love right. to have you back more often congrats on the big book Thanks, launch i hope people Appreciate go out and actually buy it and actually read it from your lips to god's ears all right they should it is how the other half learns equity excellence in the battle over school choice it is now time for everyone's favorite amber's research minute Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Yet another shameless self-promotion day here at Fordham. We just have all these reports and studies coming out. We can't help ourselves. Yeah, we can't help ourselves. That's right. We We want people to read them. They want to read them. They will benefit from reading them. It is back to school time. You can tell. It's not just us. It seems like everybody is coming out with a million new products. Uh, It's like drinking from a fire hose. But let's add to it. What do you have? All right. Well, let's do it. We have a new study out by the University of Michigan, a bunch of professors there, that examine whether providing college admissions officers with more information on low socioeconomic status applicants, Mm -hmm. that's a mouthful, would increase the likelihood that they would be admitted. 
This is very timely, isn't it's it? It's timely. Because. Hmm. Was there something in the news about <laughs> this recently? Yes, right, perhaps, right, right. perhaps. Come on, because the SAT news, right? The yes. college board, but our then, friends at the college board who were yes. going to have this so-called adversity they score, decided, but now are going to have a dashboard. They're instead. not going to have that after all. But honestly, if this was time with that, it would be interesting, right? Right. Um, because you know how the lag is with yeah. publishing these yeah. things. Uh, anyway, specifically, they conduct a randomized control trial using four simulated admissions packets to see if showing how students perform relative to their school and neighborhood peers influences decisions to admit, as well as whether including a personal essay that conveys grit influences admissions decisions. Mm. Do you guys see this study? No. Okay. No, I just want to read the essay. Uh, The sample (laughs) is drawn from a pool of admissions officers who work at selective colleges and universities, defined as the top three tiers in Barron's competitive rankings. Recruitment emails were sent to 960 admissions officers who met this criteria. 321 clicked on the online invitation to participate. Two experiments were tested. One where the treatment participants' applications all included median SAT test scores from the applicant's high school and zip code. And the control condition, which only observed applicants' own SAT test scores without this additional context. Okay. Okay. And that's it? I mean, did they the get... The additional, blah, blah, blah. the applicant characteristics were kept constant. I have a plane to catch. I'm a little antsy. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, for instance, the applicant was always a white female majoring in the social sciences. So that was kept constant. Okay. They got a bunch of information about the, um, they control for the application, the practices of that office, whether okay. you tended to prioritize this or this or that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Officers were supplied with the applications tailored to their university tier. So you got one, two, or three. You didn't just get a, like a, a number one application if you were mm-hmm. tier three. The simulated files for low SES had more modest SAT scores assigned relative to the high SES applicants as they tend to have lower test scores on average. And they also had the raw SAT scores that exceeded their median high school and zip code test scores. That was a whole experiment, right? Mm -hmm. To to manipulate Mm -hmm. that. The second experiment tested the impact of a personal essay that portrayed grit. Each participant reviewed two applications, one high SES, one low SES, with grit essays I'll talk about in a second, and two applications high and low SES again with a standard personal statement. Grit essay described what it was like growing up in a home without a father and with a mother who worked long hours to support the family. Mm -hmm. The second grit essay was about growing up as the daughter of an alcoholic. These were actual essays that do exist. They use a variety. And are available for purchase uh, they, online. <laughs> Sorry. God, I really yeah, hope you right? weren't going to make a joke about that. <laughs> Come on. They oh, use, this, is, this is a problem. Is they that, used they a variety okay. of methods, <laughs> right. including multi-level regression nested within participants. Do we want to know the findings? Of yes. course yeah. we do. Yes. Admissions officers in the treatment condition were significantly more likely to accept both the low SES and high SES applicants than those without the additional context about those SAT scores. In fact, the magnitude of the marginal effects, which range from 9 to 11 percentage points, was roughly the same across applicants, such that the low SES students did not differentially benefit. Mm, interesting. So the intervention may have helped SES students be admitted, but it not did not level the playing field mm-hmm. per se. Okay. Moreover, admissions officers were not more likely to accept the applicants who convey grit in their essays. Those essays were overall not significantly related to the probability of acceptance, mm-hmm. period. Perhaps the essays aren't the best way. They say, well, maybe they aren't the best way to convey non-cognitive traits. Perhaps maybe a letter recommendation would be better. Maybe a record of their extracurricular activities, so on and so forth. Hmm. 
The end. Interesting. Why would showing the median SAT scores for the affluent kids end up helping them, do you think? Well, they're showing that whether it's higher, right, yeah. then they're all right, then higher than their peers right. in their schools and then their zip code. Right. So I guess it's showing you're even higher than your affluent peers. Hmm. But the point with the lower achieving SES is it's supposed to show you that this might be a mediocre SAT score, but it's way higher than what you'd get. That only In the same zip code. Yeah. Uh, are we chasing the wrong thing here, David? I mean, <laughs> I, this is this is the topic right now. A lot of books out right now about meritocracy <laughs> and about higher ed and leveling the playing field. Paul Tuff has his new book out. God, you know, it's we just have to accept that, you know, the, the question is not whether there's going to be inequality. It's, you know, whether we can maybe make have an impact on it at the margins. But it's at the margins. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in any way you structure this, people are going to be unhappy. I mean, you can base it all on test scores. People won't like that. You can have Jeff Bridges or whoever writes you an essay on grit. and Or you can write one yourself, I suppose. But I mean, it, right. people are going to complain about that. Not everybody can get into the best universities simultaneously. Yeah. That's not the purpose of, of the system. It reminds me that there has been some coverage of the Paul Tuff book where they mm -hmm. talk about SATs, you know, his argument is that the only kids that the SAT really helps are the high scoring rich kids who get bad grades. So these are mm -hmm. like the slacker boys who like don't do well in their classes, mm -hmm. but they score high in the SAT. And Paul Tuff mm -hmm. thinks that's because of tutoring or the parents are basically buying mm -hmm. tutoring for them. I don't know if that's the case or not, but mm -hmm. you tie it with another book out right now, Natalie Wexler on knowledge and reading. You know, the, the other way to fix this is to help low-income kids get higher SAT scores, not by giving them tutoring at the very end of the system, although that's fine, give them some tutoring, but by, you know, improving the education system. Right. right. Yeah. I, I, I guess mean, that's where I'm landing too, Mike, is like, I mean, we're probably showing our institutional biases here, right? But I just don't think that post-secondary, I mean, it's too late. We're tinkering around the margins at that point. Mm -hmm. it, the kids are either ready for it if they're not. Yeah. If they're right. ready for it, chances are it doesn't matter where they go that much, mm -hmm. right? right? And if they're not, I'm skeptical that the average yeah. higher institution mm -hmm. is really going to, Add I don't that know. much value to their education? Or, or just like solve their problem for them. Colleges and universities aren't set up for that, really. Yeah. I feel like some are making progress. I know there are exceptions, yeah. but Look, most I, of them are. We, right. We all agree. We want to do a better job of finding those kids out there who are coming from poverty or from working class mm -hmm. neighborhoods who may be often overlooked or not right. encouraged to go to, the, who are deserving and who could succeed and thrive in these selective universities. That's, That's right. all great. And I get the point that sometimes the SAT scores for those kids can be misleading. Mm -hmm. Problem is there's just not that many of those kids out there. At least if you're talking about kids who can succeed and thrive at the most selective colleges, that's where we got to fix it. And right, David, it's, it's, we got to fix elementary schools. We got to fix yeah. middle school. We got to you I know mean, bring back some tracking and some advanced classes in middle school and in high school. I mean, all of it, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, don't the success Academy kids, right? Like, do they yeah. need this intervention? Well, that's, that's the question, question, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they will still not hit SAT scores as high as more affluent kids in general. But they're pretty high, right? Well, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not yeah, sure. Not sure either. I mean, they weren't getting into Stuyvesant and, and the likes coming out of eighth grade. So okay. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yes, we will show as K-12 people, we're going to say, hey, <laughs> okay, this well, is we've a K-12. Yeah, we've all kind fixed of. Fixed the system. Right. We've, we've, the we've all revealed our system. biases now. And I mean. <laughs> Yeah, obviously, college matters. 
but some only so much. <laughs> okay, David and I are officially out of steam Oof. on this one. We are. Oh, All right. Man. Yes. Thank you, Amber. You Good are stuff. Welcome. If yes. Depressing. Uh, here it is. Back it to is. you know. Mm, Tuesday's hard. Oh, yeah, well, there they go. Okay, that's all the time we've got for this week to be depressed. Until next week, when I'm sure there'll be more depressing news to cover. <laughs> David Griffin. And I'm Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gap Life Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at FordhamInstitute.org.